Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Sersosimo, and you are listening on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Roland Garros, over the French Open. It is over, and it has crowned champions. And we are here today to talk about those crown champions and the recap of the French Open. And I was pretty impressed with it overall. Um, I was a little skeptical, I'm not going to lie, of the French Open going into it. Um, my bias towards the U.S. Open, I was a little skeptical on how they're, they were going to have fans. It looked like it turned out okay. Um, you know, some people are still cheering. It was good to hear actual crowd noise and people in the stands cheering on their favorite players. But it was also... A little weird seeing fans in the stands. I don't know mentally. Here in the United States, we're still getting a lot of cases. I don't know mentally if I'm ready to see that kind of fans in the stands. But nevertheless, um, the French Open, I would say, did a pretty successful job with the number of cases and the number of fans and keeping everybody safe. And overall, a pretty good tournament. Um, other than there were a bunch of upsets. <laughs> um, I mean, some people think that's good. Some people think it's bad. I think it made for... More of a, I mean, it's always good to have upsets, but I think it made for an easier road to the finals for some people and maybe an easier French Open with less wear and tear leading to a really good result. And I'll get to that here in a little bit. But first off, I want to start on the women's side. Iga Swiatek. Now, excuse me if I got that wrong, but that is going to be a household name. The 19-year-old wins the French Open. I mean, what a tournament by this young lady. She played unbelievable the whole tournament. She actually had some big-time wins in there, and there were some disappointments also on the women's side. Overall, let's start with this 19-year-old. She beat Simona Halep. I mean, in your first Grand Slam, I mean, making it this far to beat Simona Halep there in the fourth round, and then to go on, I mean, there were some upsets that helped her along the way. But nevertheless, she beat Eugenie Bouchard, who hasn't been playing great lately. And then making it all the way to the finals and beating Sophia Kennan. Sophia Kennan, another awesome tournament from Sophia Kennan. Um, I mean, she played great the whole way. Something that differs between the two, uh, Podoroska is who Swiatek played in the semis. Kvitova, Petra Kvitova is who Kennan played in the semis. And Petra Kvitova is... On the up and up again, just like uh, Victoria Azarenka kind of is. But Sophia Kennan also played a red hot Daniel Collins at the tournament, played a Firo. Um, you know, Bara, she, I mean, Sophia Kennan by no means had an easy road to the finals. She played Anna Bogdan. Anna Bogdan's good. If you haven't heard that name before, I watched her at the US Open last year and I followed her ever since. She is solid. Um, but Sophia Kennan, a good final, not a great final, but a good final between these two. It went 6 uh, 4, 6 1. I think at the end of the day, the momentum on Swiatek's side was just too much. I mean, too much for Sophia Kennan to handle, kind of like what Sophia Kennan did at the Australian Open earlier this year. Some, some, I don't want to say I'm disappointed in this, but I was really hoping uh, Alita Smitalina would go a little bit farther. She was a three seed. She ended up losing to Podoroska, uh, Podoroska in the quarters, and that eventually... I mean, she would have had to play Swiatek after that, which would have been, I think, a good match. But uh, with Serena out of it early, with uh, Vika Azarenka out of it earlier, um, it was good to see Petra Kvitova make it that far in a Grand Slam again and get her feet under a little bit. But 
that's the women's side. I do want to get to the men's side, and I'm going to spend a good majority of this podcast on the men's side. I mean, it's hard to undermine the fact that Rafael Nadal has won 13 French Open tournaments. Um, if you think about his accomplishments, he has now 20 Grand Slams tied with Roger Federer for the most Grand Slams of all time, and 13 of them are at Roland Garros. And at Roland Garros, his record there is 102. His 100 match was the final match, and he won it um, pretty handily in good fashion. But I want to talk about his road leading up to the final. Now, I'm not one to really bash anybody's accomplishments, and I don't want to take away that he won his 13th final. But there were a lot of things that were different this year, and it wasn't just the pandemic. If you look at who Rafael Rafael Nadal had to play to get to the final, let me just riddle off some names for you. Girasimov, McDonald, Travagla, Travaglia, Korda, Sinner. Out of all of those names, all the way to the quarterfinals, how many of those names have you heard of? Me, personally, before the French Open, Yannick Sinner. And that was the farthest he's ever made it was the quarterfinals. And then he plays a 12-seed Schwartzman, and then he plays Djokovic. So... All I'm saying, I'm not taking away his title because obviously he's the king of clay. And would he have won this tournament anyway? Probably. But all I'm saying is his route to the final is significantly easier than Novak Djokovic. And it showed in the court time. They said in the final that the court time that Novak has spent on the court during the French Open was significantly larger than um, Rafael Nadal. Now, I don't think Rafael Nadal lost a set the entire French Open and um, you know, Djokovic went to a few fifth sets, but here's some of the names on the Djokovic side of his road to the final. In the round of four, he plays Hachinov, the 15 seed. In the quarterfinals, he plays Karina Busta, the 17 seed. In the semifinals, he plays Sitsipas, the five seed, and then Nadal. So he plays three top 20 players the rounds leading up to playing Nadal. Nadal played a 12 seed once during the tournament. The other ones, Korda and Sinner, are both next-gen players. Korda was even a uh, qualifier in round four, but Korda and Sinner were both um, you know, next-gen players coming up through the ranks and first time playing in this kind of tournament. So, I'm, like I said, I'm not trying to take this away from Rafael Nadal because he probably would have won the tournament anyway. All I'm saying is he had a significantly easier route to the finals than Novak Djokovic. And I know people are going to argue that it doesn't matter he's a king of clay. But at the end of the day, when you're playing on the clay surface, the amount of time you spend on the court drastically matters. And the reason it drastically matters is because on clay, the points last longer. You have to stay in the point longer. And that's why Rafael Nadal has been so good on it because he hits a big top spin ball, which you know, has more dramatic effect on clay, but also he can stand points longer. He's scrappy. He can be more consistent with his topspin rather than some people who are trying to drive through the ball more and that are better on like grass is like Denis Shapovalov hits the ball harder, which plays better on grass than it does on clay. Nadal hits big topspin. But at the end of the day, when you're not losing a set on clay at the French Open, and you don't spend that much time on the court through the finals, and you don't necessarily play anybody that really challenges you. And I know some people are going to be like, well, he's also Rafael Nadal, and he's earned that right to have an easier track to the finals. I get it, but you're the two seed, right? There still should be some solid players in your half of the bracket. And there was Dominic Team, 
uh, Alexander Zverev, but they both got upset. So, you know, it's not his fault he had an easier route to the finals. I'm just stating the facts. He blatantly had an easier route to the finals. I mean, you look at who Djokovic has to play. Hachinov, 15 seed. Karina Busta, who he technically lost to, defaulted at the U.S. Open. And then Stefano Sitsipas, who took him to five. And Sitsipas can do that where that court, that semifinal match with Sitsipas was good. But Sitsipas can do something where he doesn't play very good right away, kind of gets in his own head. Next thing you know, he's unbeatable. And that's what happened at the French Open semifinals with Novak Djokovic. But it got to a point where Djokovic was just too tough. But then you turn around two days later, and he's got to play the king of clay. Of course he wasn't going to win that match, right? There's no way he was going to win that match. He's had probably double, if not triple, or quadruple the time on the court at the French Open after playing at the Western and Southern Open in New York City, then playing at the U.S. Open, and then playing at Rome, which he won the Western and Southern, and he won the Rome with a lot of mental health stuff in there because he got kicked out of the U.S. Open for defaulting, you know, so he's got to deal with that own struggles on top of going straight in the French Open. I'm not making all these excuses. All I'm saying is, is you have to factor in the time on the court when you look at this year's French Open. And you have to look at who people played in this year's French Open. I'm not going to lie. The field wasn't great. And I don't say that by by the means of it didn't have great players. I think there were a lot of people on a U.S. Open hangover. And you know who wasn't on that U.S. Open hangover? And you know who didn't play in the U.S. Open for that reason? Rafael Nadal. And that's why I think he didn't play in the U.S. Open. And it showed. He won the French Open handily. I mean, handily. That's like a D1 college player coming to play in a state tournament. Like, that shouldn't happen at the French Open. But nevertheless, this year, it absolutely did. Now, this year at the French Open, I watched a lot more matches at the French Open this year than I had in years past. And I think it had a lot to do with me working from home. And so I had able to have it on in the background. And I just wanted to pay more attention. And so I did pay more attention. I checked the scores at the end of the day. I actually woke up early to watch some matches. Stuff like that. And it actually helped a lot that some of the matches went super late into the night. So it was about noon my time. But it just reinforces that you have to be in really good condition to play on clay. And when you watch the Rafa match or you watch anybody else play, I mean, those points last forever. And if you don't have consistency, you're going to really struggle. And I think that's what's happening with some of the younger generation. They just don't have the consistency. And I don't mean to stereotype them like that. But you look at the people coming up, they're really good on hardcore. And they're really, really good on grass. I mean, one person that comes to mind is Shapo, right? Shapo's really good on hardcore and his favorite, you know, his favorite uh surface to play on is grass. But guys like that really are not made for the tournament like the French Open. I mean, you have to be so consistent. I was watching Rafa, you know, run Yannick Sinner around and Yannick Sinner actually played a really good match in the in the quarterfinals there and I actually thought he might have kind of he could have done a little bit more damage. But nevertheless, Played a really good match and unfortunately lost in straight sets. Should have had a set or two in there. Anyways, he was running all over the court. And Yannick Sinner can get to a lot of things and hit a lot of good balls. And he was against Rafael Nadal. But the thing is, you got to be willing to put 20-plus, 25-plus, 30-plus shots in a rally consistently. And I think that's just a struggle a lot of players have on clay. And it's definitely a struggle that a lot of players have against Rafael Nadal on clay. Let's get to who's the best ever. I know everybody wants to talk about this. I might as well put in my two cents once again about this topic. I know I have guests that come on this show that talk about this topic, but I might as well talk about it. Here's what the ATP Tour came out of. Ready? The most championships, okay? Let me go through this. Novak Djokovic, 17 Grand Slams, 
five Nito ATP finals. Remember that because that's going to be big. 36 ATP 1000s, the most ATP 1000s, zero Olympics, and I won't tell you the total yet. Rafael Nadal, 20 Grand Slams, zero Nito ATP finals. ATP 1000s, he has 35 of those, which is one less than Djokovic. Djokovic just passed him. If you were listening to my earlier podcast, you would know that. Um, Olympics, he has one, okay? Roger Federer, 20 Grand Slams, six Nito ATP finals, 28 ATP Master 1000 titles, and zero Olympics. Now, let me tell you in what order these numbers go. In third place in the most titles, Roger Federer. In second place with the most titles, Nadal. In first place with 58, Novak Djokovic. Nadal has 56. Roger has 54. So they're all within a two-point margin there. I don't know how much this really tells you because obviously it's pretty impressive that Nadal can still be in second place with no Nito ATP finals. Um, Roger just doesn't have the Masters 1000s that the other guys do. Um, But right now, it is a battle between the two goats. And it's a battle between Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer. Now, Roger Federer came out with a statement after he won the French Open, after Nadal won the French Open this year and said, you know, I'm so happy to be setting records with you. I'm glad you're in this spot. You know, I'm so excited for the future. I'm very intrigued with the future of this sport and the future of these two guys because the way it sounds like is they're going to have an incredible career here on out no matter what. It's just... Now they're neck and neck. And you got to imagine that Nadal's going to keep pounding away at these French Opens. And if he wins one French Open a year for the next four years, boom, he's at 24 titles. You know, and that's all he has to really do. And I believe he can do that. You know, you look at guys like Roger Federer, he's got to really challenge, um, you know, Novak Djokovic on hardcore. And now Novak's playing really good on grass. So there's a lot of challenges that lie ahead of Roger Federer when it comes to actually being above Rafael Nadal in the most grand slam titles that is ever in the record books but then you look at guys like Novak Djokovic he's at 17 you know he wins one title a year he's the youngest out of the three he wins one title a year for the next six years boom he's at 23 um and nevertheless he could win two titles a year he's so good on hardcore there's two hardcore tournaments that's just something you really need to keep an eye on who do I think is going to end up being the GOAT um I think they're all going to be the GOAT in their own manner. I know that's not a very good answer, and it's a very PC answer. But I do want to say that Novak Djokovic, I do believe, will have the most Grand Slams when it is all said and done. Let's look in the future a little bit here. Uh, Come October, right now they're in St. Petersburg. I'll recap on that next week. I'll touch on that as ATP 500. Another ATP 500 coming in October. That is Vienna on October 26th. Uh, Paris is happening on November 2nd, which is a Masters 1000. And then the Nito ATP Finals is happening in London on November 15th. So to be honest, there's only a little bit over a month left of the season. And I feel like the season's been so short because of all this Corona stuff. But, you know, they talked about the French Open. The French Open can happen again in like six or seven months, which is mind-boggling. But it very well could happen. And um, it will be very interesting to see if it does happen because then you could go... You know, maybe some guys learn some some guys learn some things here, could play well in the next one, or Rafa's gonna roll the slate again. Um, I just wanna congratulate a few guys. Um, and I wanna talk about some of the rankings. Uh with the last French Open, some guys actually moved up in the rankings. And I wanna just name off the top ten and I'll tell you who moved up in the rankings when I'm done. 
Novak Djokovic is ranked number one. Nadal is number two. Team Dominic Team is number three. Stefano Tsitsipas is number four slash five because Roger Federer is supposed to be at four, but he hasn't played. But you're not supposed to lose points in a pandemic year. Stuff like that. It's all complicated. But right now we're gonna put Tsitsipas at four. Med- Medvedev, Daniil Medvedev is at five. Sverev is at six slash seven. Actually, we'll put him at seven because Diego Schwartzman's at eight. Matteo Berrettini is at nine, and Rublev's at 10. Andre Rublev, Guillaume Monfils, one of my favorite players, is at 11. I'm just going to slip that in there. Andre Rublev is at 10, and Diego Schwartzman's at eight. This is the first time they both cracked the top 10. Very well-deserved. Diego Schwartzman had an unbelievable clay court season, had a terrible U.S. Open appearance, but a really good French Open. And uh, for a guy of his size, I know it talks about a lot, but... Um, for a guy of his size to be able to compete with some of these guys that are true powerhouses is inspirational and incredible that he can perform at that level. Then you look at guys like Audrey Rublev, to have him and Medvedev, both Russians, be in the top 10, that's big for Russian tennis and that's big for the program over there because these two guys not only are really good players, they're unique ambassadors to the sport. A lot of people hate Daniil Medvedev, but I think even more people love him just because of the way he's turned himself around. And Audrey Rublev plays really, really good tennis, hits the crap out of the ball and really leaves nothing on the court. He's really entertaining to watch. He might be one of my most favorite person to watch in the entire top 10. For now, that'll be it for this episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I touched on the French Open. Next week, I'm going to get into St. Petersburg a little bit, but for now, this is all we have. You can reach out to me at Jacob Sersosimo, C-E-R-S-O-S-I-M-O, both on Instagram and Twitter. Or you can reach out to Believe at Believe Podcasts, B-L-E-A-V, or at Believe.com. Listen to some of, the, some of their other podcasts. They're actually really, really good, and they have some incredible talent on some of their other podcasts as well. It's election season. If you're in the United States, remember, please go out and vote. It's your civic duty, and also it's an incredible privilege we have here in the United States is to go out and vote. Also, stay safe, everybody. We're in a global pandemic. We're still in this global pandemic. I live in a place that's, you know, a hot spot right now. And in order for the world to get back to normal and in order for full capacity fans in Arthur Ashe Stadium next year, we need everybody to do their part. So wear a mask if you need to. If you're close, social distance, hygiene, always important. And always take care of yourself, take care of your family, and take care of your friends. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.